0: So, um, I have a little bit of an introduction to make for George and maybe a few times at a service English service and stuff over the years I've introduced George and every time it's a little bit awkward Um, and so I was just thinking about it and I'm like man every time I have to introduce him and I have no idea it's like if you're gonna say you know just George that's like that's he's fine with it but it makes me feel like I'm awkward you know what I mean it's awkward for me not for him But then if I, you know, start really drawing it, then he's going to be super awkward. So I had no idea how to do it. So this year I decided to do something different. Because to us, whether he likes it or not, he is a living legend. (laughs) I commissioned, I commissioned a gift for you, George, before you come up here, I commissioned a gift for you um, as a way of introduction, if we can put it up there. I just thought, <laughs> no better way. <laughs> we're gonna. <laughs> I think we're gonna. It's it's a little dark, but I think we're gonna need to put it on on canvas. You'll receive it. <laughs> hey, isn't it appropriate? Come on. <laughs> All right. Hey, um, no joke though. No. Um, today we just asked George. We asked George to be a little bit more open, just share a little bit about himself, um, and that's all we asked. And so he has something prepared, and we'll just let him go.
1: Good evening, praise the Lord. How's everybody tonight? Okay, is it okay if I sit down on the stage? Uh, No, no, this is really nice. This is really good. This is really casual. Okay, so uh, a lot of people... I've known me or heard over the years, over the years. I was born in the United States. Uh, One kid came up to me, how come you don't have an accent? (laughs) Every person with gray hair that they know, they speak like this. (laughs) So I said, no, I was born here. They're like, you're lying. You know, no, yeah, I was born here. My parents came in 1950, I was born in 1954. In May, I'm going to be 65 years old. (laughs) Senior citizen! I could get all these discounts, and I'm too embarrassed to ask for them. <laughs> what I find amazing is that God's using me much more with your crowd and uh, junior highs, 11 through 14, than anybody else. And I'm loving it every day. So this is a privilege for me to be here tonight. Other years I said no because I was just exhausted. But God didn't let me say no, so this is the fifth service in two, two days. <laughs> three this morning, and you're the fourth, right? But, uh, so what, what, is, what is it really like to live in my house growing up? I had three children, uh, have three children. Uh, the oldest uh, was born in 1983. His name is Andrew Jeremy David Duke. I named it after my father. My father was such a man of God He was uh, college-educated in uh, Poland, which was uh, some Muslim God Bible school. And uh, he was educated, had a big library. He listened to music. He loved art. My dad was so non-typical for a Ukrainian Pentecostal pastor. It would blow your mind. I think the Soviet Union made everybody insulated, had no literature, had no Bible schools, had no books, concordances, that, that our, our brothers grew, I don't want to use the word inbred because it has a bad connotation, but they had no access to learning, a higher learning. Is that, is that more explainable? But My dad was so cool. My dad was a small man, five foot six. I'm six, two. I used to be six, three, and I'm shrinking now. <laughs> you know, this little old man. And uh, so, my dad, I was the only son. My older brother died at birth, and I have four sisters. I'm right in the middle of t- uh, two older, two younger. And uh, God gave us two children uh, who are sons, and the third child is a daughter. And so, I wanted my kids to be real. I wanted them to be genuine. I heard a lot of preachers' kids. Now, just no reflection on this church or any other church, okay? So I have nothing in mind when I say this. But as I was a kid, I remember everybody said, Oh, you're a PK. You must be terrible. I never went into the world. Not one day. I never went. I never rebelled. I loved God when I was a child baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was eight. I was baptized in water when I was 14. I was preaching the gospel when I was 16 preached my first sermon, and a lady got saved. I led her to the Lord in a church. I've been on a missions trip every day of my life since 16 years of age. That's the last um, 50 years of my life. Every year I've been on a mission trip, and more than one. And you know, it's because of the prayers of my dad. My dad walked with God like Enoch. He's with the Lord now, and my mom passed away last year at 97, ripe old age, you know? Her mom lived in 96 or 98 and her brothers lived that long i don't know how long i have but i want to make it count for god so i was worried am i going to be a good dad when i was a kid when i was a father excuse me and uh yeah i was a young father i think i was 29 or 28 when my first son was born and then came my second son (laughs) for you that's old I don't know, it seems so young for me. (laughs) But it's a matter of perspective, I guess. Um, And you know what God did? God spoke to my heart. He said, George, he calls me by my first name, which is so cool. (laughs) He said, You will never have a conflict from your home, all of your conflicts will be outside your home. And my two sons and my daughter. They begged me for water baptism at 13, begged me. I said, Slavery people don't baptize until 14 at least. <laughs> and they got baptized at 14. My daughter convinced me at 13. And they never went into the world that one day, Not one day. God was good to her. But I believe it's the prayers and the example that you see at home. Because let me tell you, the hardest place to be a Christian, you know where it is? It's at home. Because at home, your kids see you. At home, the kids hear what you say. At home, the kids watch the reality of your life or the lack of a reality. And you know, kids see right through pseudo-spirituality. Isn't that true, ladies and gentlemen? Isn't that true? Kids see right through pseudo, which means fake, spirituality. They want the real deal. They want to see the genuine faith. And I saw that in my dad. Everybody saw my dad as a preacher, as a man of God. He could preach like a house on fire. But, you know, he told really great stories. He was funny, but he made you cry. And, you know, I wanted to be like my dad when I was a kid. And my sons, God didn't call them into ministry. God called them into the marketplace. So my oldest son... God told me he would be a doctor before he was born. I said, doctor? I said, I want, to, I want my son to be a pastor, no, a missionary, a minister. For you, God, it's for you. God said, nope, he'll be a doctor. And I thought, that's weird. Then I thought, at least he's not going to be poor. <laughs> <laughs> true story, true story. I came home, I said, honey, you won't believe what God told me today, but son's firstborn. he wasn't even born yet. He wasn't even conceived yet. I know because Esty couldn't conceive and I prayed that God would open her womb. And God said, he will be a doctor. She said, she's a nurse, she said, I don't want my son to be a doctor. (laughs) I said, why not? She said, you know MD? I go, yeah, that means me deity. (laughs) They're they're proud and they're... I said, well, yeah, well you work with some doctors, I know, you're a nurse. I said, he won't be that kind of, he'll be kind and he'll help people and heal their bodies and speak to their spirits. And so God gave us a son. He almost died at birth. God kept him alive. And at eight years of age, he goes to his mother. He says, Mom, I know what I'm going to be when I grow up. And she said, What? A doctor. She said, Did you talk to Dad? <laughs> he said, No, Mom, why? Nothing. Never mind. <laughs> why do you want to be a doctor? He said, I don't know, Mom. You're a nurse. and I just thought, I don't know. I want to be a doctor. Today, my son is a surgeon. He's a urologist. You know, what's funny. I sat in the back of the thing. I thought, what's going to happen if I Google David Duke? What's going to come up? My son's name comes up like 10 times before my name. <laughs> so funny. So if you want to Google my last name, it's spelled David I-U-K, not Y-U-K. Well, Y-U-K will bring you the y- me and songs. <laughs> but if you put I-U-K, that's my son. And my name is I-U-K as well. But people misspell my name all the time. when They post stuff. I never post anything. They post everything. But let me tell you that uh, he gave his heart to the Lord very young and he was an athlete and a nerd, so he was a jock and a nerd. <laughs> he was number two in his high school for, for education and then he played baseball, he was in newspapers and then he was drafted by his college to be a shortstop. He started as a four-year starter in a Division I school, Furman University, which is in North Car- South Carolina. And they won the the conference championship, He played on television, and he batted 374, all you baseball geeks, in his senior year, and was named player of the year. So there's two names on the stadium uh, clubhouse outside, for everyone to see in big letters, one boy in 1960-something, and my son, A.J. David Duke. And then he got drafted by the uh, San Diego Padres, baseball, professional baseball. My son played professional baseball for two years. He didn't make it to the big leagues because it takes like four years, and he played two and quit. Because <laughs> he wrote his med- medical exam, he got accepted to University of North Carolina, number uh, two medical school in the United States. Number two. Today he's a surgeon, real low achiever. <laughs> My second son is a psychologist. He got his doctorate and two master's degrees. But he's a jock. He plays basketball, softball. He was a wide receiver in football. Uh, And he played golf four years in college. Uh, The other other year he shot a 69. No cheating. (laughs) If you're a golf geek, 69 is pretty good. That's professional. I play golf with my guys and they laugh the whole time. if I break a hundred I'm so happy (laughs) I never did yet my daughter she's a she's a teacher and uh, I have seven grandchildren believe it or not AJ has 2 a boy and a girl my wife is there now Luke has two girls and a boy Harper Stella and Tatum real Ukrainian names I know (laughs) and uh, my daughter has a Boy and a girl, Cannon Brooks, right? We call him Cannonball. <laughs> we do. And uh, little Aspen. And little Aspen, Aspen is a pampushka. You know those little r- Ukrainian rolls with you know, she's a pampushka <laughs> So tonight what's gonna be different, uh, there was a father-daughter banquet last night at uh, House of Bread. So a lot of you, if you didn't serve, you couldn't come. And it was like, you know, just for a certain age group. But I want to play the videos that I asked my daughter. Is that okay? You want to see my daughter? And let me give the introduction to the videos. There's seven, one minute to one and a half minutes. I think the longest one is not even two minutes, 150. And I asked her really probing questions about our home. Not from my perspective but I asked her questions that could really throw me under the bus. Are you following me now, right? Like, one question I think in the second video is, what was it like growing up in the David Duke home? Another question was, uh, did you ever hear mom and me argue? Do we argue? (laughs) Third question, how how did I treat you children? Another question was, I think you'll really appreciate, what was it like to grow up in a uh, Ukrainian home? Or a bicultural home? Is that a good question? Because you're all thinking, you know, my dad and mom, they're from another planet. <laughs> F-O-B. <laughs> Those of that you don't know what F-O-B is, fresh off the boat. <laughs> but one more funny story. My dad never learned English properly, you know. Instead of saying, how do you do? He would say, how do you? <laughs> Tato. Ne how do you? How do you do? <laughs> how do you? <laughs> no, dad. No, no, no. And my mom, she said one time to me, she said, where's your bag? I go, mom, it's not your bag, it's your bag. And why are you talking black? (laughs) And it turned out that I remembered my mom was a cleaning lady, cleaning offices, and she worked with black ladies. So here's my mom, Baba Luba from the hood. (laughs) True story. So my dad can't speak English, my mom talks black. <laughs> and God calls me to Slavic people, man, talk about a life of suffering. <laughs> people ask me, how, how many churches do I speak in that are non-Slavic? Zero. I only speak in Slavic churches. So that's how much I love you, and that's how much I love the children of the people that I minister to for the last 50 years. So let's hit uh, video number one. Oh, my, my, so my oldest son is, has a doctorate in surgery and urology. My second son has a doctorate in psychology. My daughter is a nurse. And my daughter is a teacher. She taught fourth grade. And my wife is a nurse. I'm the only dummy in the family. <laughs> video one. Here is Larissa Davyduk-Stewart. Larissa Davy Duke, and her last name now is Stuart. Hey Larissa, what's your husband's name? Isaac. Uh, how many years are you married?
2: We've been married five and a half years. Wow, six this summer.
1: And have beautiful baby. children.
2: We have Cannon who is two years old and we have Aspen who
1: is... Maybe you could lower the lights boy and a girl that's my sixth and seventh grandchild okay hit video number two and then we'll talk about it for a minute say something hey this is george david duke interviewing my daughter larissa david duke and her last name now is stewart hey larissa what's your husband's name no 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 video two we heard that one so tell me what was it like growing up in the david duke home
2: It was probably a lot like a lot of other families. We played games, we had fun, we went to church a lot. I do remember (laughs) living in the church. But I felt like we always, that was just a priority and we wanted to be there and
1: Did you ever resent your daddy being a pastor and the eye is always on his children?
2: You know, I never really felt like the eyes were on me as his child. I felt like that was just something in my spirit. I wanted to make my dad proud. Not that I really cared what other people thought. Um, And no, it never really bothered me. It was just second nature to be in the church. And I never really thought twice about it.
1: Did your daddy or mommy ever tell you, oh, don't do this or don't say that? What will the people in church say? Typical slobic word,
2: right? No, never.
1: So your uh, rule for living was what then?
2: I think we were taught as a young age that our job was to love and serve God with our whole heart and that's who we please we don't please other people and if something were to happen, my parents made it an open door policy that we could always come to them. so it wasn't ever something of condemnation or we would you know be shunned from the family. it was something that there was grace and there was mercy and it was, something, it was a heart condition, not
1: what other people thought. Notice that she said, you don't have to put the lights on me, just keep it like this, it's fine, you can hear my voice. She said, we were taught to love God. Do you know that's the best motivation for serving Jesus Christ, is love. A lot of Slavics, they use fear and control. You're going to go to hell, so you better come to church, and book to you'll be punished. and. Fear is a very strong motivator, but it's not very effective. And if it is effective, it's more coercive than it is to really speak to your heart that you don't fall away from God. And I never wanted to do that with my children. She's speaking of a time where I was pastor for 10 years in New Jersey, a Ukrainian Pentecostal church. And my kids were always on the first bench. And then Larissa would be in the nursery in the back row because she was the youngest and, and just a couple years old. You know, I remember one time I was preaching. And so here, if I could use your first row, here sat my son, AJ, right? Here was his cousin, uh, Evan. Here was his cousin, Jordan, right? My, two, my sister's sons. And here was Luke, so AJ and Luke. And the four of them were sitting. They weren't talking. They were kind of swinging their legs. And I'm preaching away. Right, And I see this tennis ball roll from the first pew to the pulpit. And I looked at my son, and he had this deer in the headlights look. <laughs> I wanted to laugh, and I stopped preaching, and his face turned white. And calmly, I said, pick that up, put it in your pocket. I don't want to see it anymore. He never forgot that. I thought that was so, so funny. And then I asked my daughter, did you ever hear from dad or mom, don't do that, what will the people in church say? Isn't that so Slavic? What will people say? I never heard that from my father. But he was a pastor. He never said, son, don't do that. What will the people in my church say about me? with my children. He always said, what what does God want? What what the Lord wants you to do? And I said, that's how I'd raise my children. Okay, video number three. Hit the lights. Larissa, how did it feel to grow up in a Ukrainian home with two languages and a different culture? A little bit louder. I honestly
2: really liked it. I always was proud to have a different, culture than a lot of people. I felt like it taught me a lot of things and I loved hearing all the other people and I loved just exploring the different cultures. I thought it just made us more diverse and I really enjoyed it.
1: Did your dad make you learn Ukrainian?
2: You know, he never pushed that on us and I wish he would have.
1: Oh no! (laughs) I just, he
2: just really allowed it to be up to us if we wanted to learn and when I was younger, I wanted to be able to speak some phrases and he worked with me on that and I really enjoyed that.
1: You still know a lot of phrases and you get the gist of what's going on though, don't yeah. you? It
2: gets rusty time to time, but <laughs> <laughs> I do. I use them now and my husband likes to use them too. So
1: Isn't that funny? It, and he's a steward in America.
2: It continues.
1: See, when I was a kid, um, my dad didn't push Ukrainian on me but he couldn't speak English so I had to learn Ukrainian. And then he sent me to Ukrainian school for five years and I hated Ukrainian school. You ever go to Russian school here? Yeah, how many kids went to Russian school? Okay, you loved it, didn't you? Okay, I don't know about your teacher, I hope she was young or he was young. My teacher was like 140 years old. I'm exaggerating, yes I know. But I'm making a statement, she was not young. Then she had a voice like a crow ah! <laughs> one time she asked me to go to the board okay De, write a sentence <laughs> so i was the worst kid in class so i thought well, what am i gonna write what a I... mama kupila bot mini novi shoes. <laughs> shoes is not a ukrainian or a russian word it's shoes ukrainianized <laughs> And everybody is laughing at David Duke, So that was my wonderful education in Ukrainian school. But my kids, they learn phrases. Tato dai Hroshe. Dad, give me money. Hocis <laughs> paska. You want a belt? Remin paruski. Remin. And uh, she learned other things from her cousins she should never have learned. <laughs> But I never pushed it down their throats. My dad didn't push it, but my uncle sure did. And I hated my uncle for that one reason. I loved him for everything else. I think that, you know, you have to be wise when you raise your children to lead them to the water. Don't push their head in the water. I, you hear what I'm saying? Anyway, some of the things she said surprised me in and, and, and a good way. All right. Next video lights off. So a lot of people see your dad in the pulpit as a public person, but Mm -hmm. at home, how did your dad treat you and your two brothers? And how did your dad treat your mom? Wow. Um, (laughs) You could be honest.
2: (laughs) Yeah. My dad treated us all very equally as far as the children. He just loved us unconditionally and I feel like something that I really took away from my dad was how much he poured into us verbally. I feel like not enough fathers really tell their children what they're worth and what their value is and I feel like that carries over across the course of a lifetime. Um, as far as my mom, my dad never stopped dating her. It was like, (laughs) she was always his girlfriend, you know, (laughs) they got home from work, they kissed. They hugged. It was just very natural. I never looked at it as something that shouldn't happen. I just thought that that was just what what husband and wives did. They went, went on dates. They took trips together. And I feel like it made me feel secure as a child to know that I could come home to a calm environment where my dad and my mom really loved each other.
1: Did they ever argue?
2: I mean... They'd bicker or disagree over something, but it was never a screaming fit, never. Never did I see my parents yell at each other. Who doesn't disagree? I mean, that's normal, and that's healthy, but I never saw them put each other down or name call. It was more life-building than that, and it was, hey, how can we come together on this versus attacking one another?
1: Lights up here. You know what's sad is that there's a whole face group of women who are battered wives of Slavic husbands and I heard that there's like up to over a thousand women we're talking about our Slavic culture Christians, Baptists and Pentecostals and I'm thinking to myself how could you call your wife a name? Tychudova! <laughs> you know, that's a horrible thing to say or other names that are worse, I would never repeat I've never called my wife a name, ever how could you think to do that? But maybe it's the American culture that influenced me. Maybe it's the way that my dad treated my mom. He was very gracious and kind. And that's how I raised my children. These answers were not rehearsed. I didn't know what my daughter was gonna say. I mean, I could have edited it out, okay? <laughs> but I didn't edit anything. I let the phone just, just record. And I didn't realize that she was watching how I treated her. I didn't realize She noticed when I kissed my wife. I I didn't realize that she remembered when we had date night about once a month because my wife had three small children, like your moms, right? And sometimes, you know, they just want time away just to be a a, a woman again. And guys, maybe you're in the audience and you're saying, Ah, George, this is all for girls. This is stupid stuff, right, for me. Hey, one day you're going to fall in love. One day you're going to get married, hopefully, unless you're going to be one of those bachelors until the rapture. (laughs) (laughs) Girls don't laugh. That's just a joke. No, I don't think so. I think when the time comes, you're going to want to get married. So when that time comes, I hope you remember at least one or two things that my daughter said about our home. Because you know what I've discovered, ladies and gentlemen? The power of a genuine ministry to people, it grows out of a home. It comes out of a family. It comes from your relationship to your wife and to your children. Because what can I tell you if I didn't live it? in front of little ones that watched me, not when I was preaching, but when I was home and relaxed in a home environment. That's why I wanted to do this tonight and take videos from the the father-daughter banquet. This was my idea. They didn't ask me to do this. And I said, "Let let me reveal to you behind the curtain what it's like to be in our house. And so I asked a few more questions and go to the next video. So tell me, Larissa now, you're a mom with two children and plans for more, obviously. Uh, how do you want to raise your children?
2: Uh, I think how we would like to raise our children is kind of like the funnel effect. I feel like right now, as they're little, we want to teach them what's right and wrong and what's you know morally right in their spirit and just kind of teach them about just simple choices, and then I feel like as they get older, we wanna just expand their freedoms and their boundaries. I feel like a really healthy thing is to learn from natural consequences. I think if we're always, you know, telling them, no, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't go there, you can't hang out that some with that person, then I feel like it doesn't really allow them the opportunity to learn some of these things in a safe environment when they're in the home, and kind of just learn you know,
1: not just the negatives, but the positives, not
2: just the negatives, but the positives. And, and you know, what is right in my spirit? And what is God telling me about this and deciding for myself? If my dad and my mom are always telling me, no, you can't do this. My first instinct is, well, then I'm going to do it. You know, I see that in my two year old already. He already wants to do the things I don't allow him to do. But if I kind of tell him, you know, what could happen and then let him kind of dip his toe in the water, then. I see him making his own choice not to do it the next time. And that's kind of the environment I want to create in my family. I want my kids to be able to explore different things in a safe place and then come to me and just become really well-rounded, healthy human beings that choose God because it's their choice and not mine.
1: I want to talk to you about the word trust. Trust is such a delicate uh, relationship. When you trust someone, you give them a measure of freedom. When you trust someone, like either your child or in a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, you're trusting them to be faithful only to you. I mean, if it's a serious relationship and it's heading somewhere, right? In a marriage, a marriage is only based on trust. I wanted to create an environment where when the kids were super little, I would be concrete, black and white. No, you can't. Yes, you must. But that is only up till 12. From 12 to 18, it's my job to teach them the abstract, to go away from the control. Yes, you will. No, you can't. To what should you do? What do you think? And give my children wings. You see, Slavic people, they have this fear that if they give a little bit of freedom, our kids will go wild, they'll go crazy. So what they do is they clamp down and they control their kids, and then the kids wanna go crazy because they're like suffocated And so they sneak stuff. So they go out of the house and they do all kinds of wild stuff. They take two sets of clothing to school and change in a car or the girl's room or the guy's room. And like, you know, they'll do stupid things because they want freedom because they're not given freedom. Well, Larissa said this freedom is in a controlled environment, a safe environment. Let me give you examples because that's... I can tell you about abstract stuff, and you're like, shh, over your head. So let me tell you specific things. I wanted to prepare my children for college, for university. I've heard that in the first year of university, kids are out of the house, no curfew. I'm going to go nuts. I'm going to stay till 4 a.m. I don't care. You know, This is great. My mom and my dad are not going to tell me what to do. So I said, hmm, how can I combat this craziness of first year of college? So I said to Esty, you know, I have this crazy idea. Tell me if you think this is okay. Let's take away their curfew in the senior year of high school. And my wife looks at me. I go, no, seriously. She said, why would you want to do that? I said, well, you know, they're going to have that in the first year of college. So why don't we do it at home a year earlier and just train the kids that hey, you can do it. So I said to my firstborn son, okay, son, mom and I made a decision to to take away your limit on on how long you could stay up uh, in your senior year of high school. No curfew. You could come in four o'clock in the morning. This is George David Duke, the pastor, telling his son, right? On two conditions. Number one, you take my cell phone. In those days, it was just for calling. That's all it was. It's a little uh, uh, Motorola flip phone, right? Little antenna. You you take my phone and you tell me where you are and who you're with. And the second thing, you have to go to school the next morning. I don't care if you sleep or not. Your choice. My son looks at me, yeah? I go, yeah. No curfew. And I waited up for him each time. You know, my son never went past one o'clock in the morning, which is late, but I read a book and I'm like, okay, he's coming, he's coming. (laughs) He would come in, hey son, have a nice evening. Yeah, dad, you didn't have to wait up. I said, I know, okay, good night, I'll go upstairs. (laughs) My son, hey, when you can do it, you don't want to do it, right? Because you need your sleep, you got to get up the next morning. Then, here's another example, concrete, if you heard the story, just, just, Tolerate me, okay? <laughs> you don't mind these stories? Okay, so anyway, here's my son, my firstborn son, going to university first time. We packed up all his stuff a rug, a pillow, a comforter, a laptop, right? He's going to the University of uh, Fermi University in, in Greenville, South Carolina, two hours from my house. It's not a Christian school, it's not a Christian environment. It's living in the dormitory with one or two other guys and the, they had co-ed stuff going on. People were sleeping together. They had keggers. They had all kinds of <laughs> just to make it clear. Sinful activities. And I'm thinking to myself, where am I letting my son go? To hell. <laughs> so I had a list of things I'm going to tell him not to do. And the Holy Spirit I listened to the Holy Spirit, he said, don't say that, don't, he knows that, but I needed to tell him, he didn't need it to hear it, I just needed to get off my chest, God said, don't say that, so I said, okay, what do I tell him, tell him you trust him and give him to me, it's time to say goodbye, I said, all right, AJ, mom and I are going to go home now, but son, my job was to give you wings to fly, now son lift your wings and fly I believe in you I trust you and I know that the Lord Jesus will be with you whatever you do wherever you go tears came to his eyes and he said dad thank you for your trust in me I will not let you down and I got in the car and we drove home I said oh Jesus please you said you said <laughs> We came to visit him as much as we could, every other weekend or once a month. He played baseball. He was the star of the team. It was a great team. They won their division championship, like I said. And uh, in the third year of university, we're we're sitting in the grandstands. And a boy taps me on the shoulder. And he says, are you Mr. David Duke? That's what they call me in English, David Duke. I said, yes. You're AJ's father, right? I go, yes. Can we talk to you? I'm thinking, okay. (laughs) What did my son do? They took me to the side, two boys. Mr. David, we wanted to talk to you. I go, what's up, what's up? We wanted to meet you. We've never heard a boy talk so much about his dad, like your son, AJ. You see, we were brought up in a Christian home, but... We came to university and we did a lot of stupid stuff, we messed up. Your son found us, they were athletes, and he said, hey guys, you don't need to do that, you don't need to go there, why don't you come and join us at Fellowship of Christian Athletes? And so we came, and your son was speaking one day to all the athletes, and the whole school knows him, he's so popular, he's an athlete, he's one of the stars. And he says, Mr. David Duke, you are his hero. He tells us how you go to Ukraine to tell others about Christ. You took him and he worked in an orphanage with children one time. And we've never heard a son talk about his father in that way. Mr. David Duke, we want to shake your hand and tell you what a great son. And thank you for raising him. He blessed our lives. I gulped, there was a knot in my throat. I said,
0: okay, thank you.
1: (laughs) And when I sat down, my wife says, what did they say, what did they say? Tell you later. (laughs) If it sounds like I'm bragging, I'm sorry. I'm telling you the exact words they said, the exact thing that happened. When you really love God, Your kids see it. That's the kind of dads I want you to be, guys. You see, a boy looks to his father, and when his father walks with God, the boy, he wants to walk with God. Girls, be the kind of moms that will raise your children to love Jesus Christ. But you have to love Christ, because they'll do what you do. Girls will follow the the mom and boys will follow the dad. Girls, don't date a really good-looking guy who doesn't love God. Don't do it. Don't do it. How many girlfriends you have that married guys that don't love God? And their life is hell, living in the same house with them. Now, I know that not every marriage is perfect. And mine, I don't know, sometimes I feel guilty that God blessed us so much. And sometimes I think, if I say this, people are not going to believe it. But my daughter is testifying before you guys that that's the home we wanted to have. That's the little church I pastored with my wife and three members, my sons and my daughters. So I asked my daughter two more questions. I said, what would you tell the dads? So boys, this is what my daughter would say to you the day you become a dad. And the last question is, what would you tell the daughters and girls that'll be for you? So, Larissa, to wrap it up, um, this video will be shown at a banquet for Slavic dads with their daughters. What would you like to say to the dads uh, in the Slavic culture and then to their
0: daughters?
2: Um, I think what I, the most important thing that I'd say is to just pour love into your daughters. I mean, they look up to you as their father. I know I did. And I think, especially now that I have a daughter, just seeing how she looks at her daddy at such a young age. I mean, they're looking for you for love and acceptance. And the more that you can spend time with them and pour into them, the more worth that they feel and the more that they don't need that from anybody else. If they can get that from their dad and from God, it just, propels them into being anything they want to be. And I just feel like that's the best gift that you could give to your daughter is your time and your love.
1: You know, I'll just say really quickly that uh, your daughter relates to men the way she relates to her father. So guys, when the day, day comes, be a good dad. Your daughter will not become that girl who's guy crazy. She will not become love-hungry. She will not want to be hugged and fondled and touched by other men because she has a love hunger for her dad. My daughter was a young kid. She's crawling all over my neck and just, I want to cuddle you, dad. I said, okay, fine, i cuddle. I did it more for her. because She wanted that. Now, she has the greatest relationship with her husband. And Isaac, now she's your, your deal. <laughs> but we still hug and kiss. And it's funny, I used to hug and kiss my dad. You know, I remember the smell of his aftershave. It was old spice. <laughs> Cheap drugstore cologne. <laughs> Every time I smell old spice from somebody, I go, that's my dad. And you know, I I I raised my sons that way. I kissed them all. I still kiss my sons. So uh, maybe you heard the story before, I got to tell this story. So we're coming down to the baseball stadium the first year of his baseball career. All these guys are swinging bats, and these guys are fit, these guys are buff, these guys are, they're athletes, I mean, really great athletes. So I'm thinking, okay, don't kiss him, don't even embarrass him, just shake his hand, you know, American style. So I said, hello, AJ, how are you? And all the guys are watching him. He pulls me and kisses me. He says, what's the matter? You're ashamed to kiss me in front of my friends? No, I'm good, I'm good. I said, I'm good. So my son did that to me. All right, here is Larissa's words to you girls. And if you want, I'll take some questions from the audience after that. So Larissa, as your final words, what would you say to the girls, the daughters, And that might not necessarily relate to their dads, but just to them as young ladies.
2: What I think I'd say just to my previous self is spend time with God and pray for your future spouse and surround yourself with good friends who are seeking after God with their whole heart. Those are lifelong friends. It's important to be equally yoked with the people that you surround yourself with because you become like those people. Um, I think it's so easy in society nowadays to just blend in and to try to fit in and do what everyone wants you to do. But you're enough for God and you're enough for your dad. And that's the most important thing that you could possibly do for yourself, to spend time in God's word. And he is going to bless you.
1: Thank you, Larissa, David Duke, Stewart. I love you. I love the words that she said, girls. You are enough. So many girls in this world of social media and selfies, they don't think they're enough. They post only the best pictures, but we all do, right? Let's admit. We want to show our best self. We want acceptance. We want to be cool. But you are enough. God loves you. Just the way you are. And you know, I know this is a cliché, but clichés tend to be true. That the true beauty of is who you are inside. Not just a great figure. Not just a beautiful, symmetric profile or face. Not just the beauty of this world. Because it fades. You grow older. And, and your body changes. It's aging. I, I wish I could have... The body of a 30-year-old or 40-year-old. I can't and I won't. So you have to accept your lot in life. But there's just something about someone who loves God that makes him attractive. Wouldn't you agree with me? There's something about this girl who's in love with Jesus, and she's like a magnet. These guys are like, this is a great girl. There's something about that guy that that truly walks with God, and these girls will. Yeah, maybe, maybe he's not the best looking, but what a man of God. This is such a, That's the kind of husband I want to have. And so those are my words to you. I'm ready to take any questions that you have. I mean, I've been very vulnerable. I've been very open. I don't think there's a lot of Slavic pastors. And uh, we lived there for 20 years. And we only moved to Springfield, Missouri, because my daughter went to Evangel University, which was a Pentecostal Christian college. It ha- it's a university. It has many PhDs that teach and are professors there. You can get any degree, almost in anything, and, and they have chapel, I think, three or four times a week in the mornings. It's mandatory, too. A lot of kids go that are not Christians, but... It's a great environment. My son Luke got his master's, two master's degrees there. Then he went to Fuller University. And so she ended up uh, marrying this boy from university, Isaac Stewart, and they bought a home and they settled there. And one son is practicing medicine in Orlando. The other one is in an Air Force Base. He's a captain uh, and a psychologist. And he treats PTSD and suicide prevention. I could tell you stories and stories, and so we decided to live by one of our grandchildren, and it was Larissa because she was going to stay there. So we moved to Springfield, Missouri, a little town called Ozark. What's another question? Okay, another question. Yes. How old were you when you started? Your ministry? How old was I when I started my ministry? 16. Uh, in 1970, I went with. Paul who was 21, uh, Ivan Popovich, who was uh, 27, my, my sister was 25, Alex Samarenko, who was 30, Vasiluk, was 26, and I was 16. I was tall and precocious. And yeah, I don't know why they took me, <laughs> but they did. That was 50 years ago. Okay. Somebody else, no questions, no questions. You can go to Starbucks later and hang out some more. Where can we find your On YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> I, I brought some CDs with me. We did, uh, um, I think we, we recorded 25 albums over 50 years, 25 of our own. We did about 16 in Ukrainian. We did three in English. We did three in Spanish. Isn't that crazy? Hablas espanol? Muy bien. You know what's funny is my kids speak Spanish better than they speak Korean because <laughs> they could learn it in high school. Yes. Yes. We're working on our 26th, what are you you clapping about? Your kids. I mean like, why do you want to listen to Starikovsky stuff? <laughs> oh, you're so funny. Your mother probably played it all the time in the house. <laughs> I feel sorry for you. <laughs> yes. How do I meet your wife? It's a, it's a, a casca, casca, I was 16. She was 11. I gave her a piggyback ride in her barn farmyard. <laughs> she hasn't climbed up my back since. <laughs> no. That's a joke. My wife laughs when I say that. And my kids groan, dad, you're so cheesy. I said, all dads are cheesy. It wouldn't be dads if they weren't cheesy. No, seriously. She was 11 and I was 16. And we stopped at their home and their farm in Alberta. I just saw her as a kid. There were five girls, or yes, five girls and one boy. He was like two years younger than me, Tim. And then I came back when I was 21. She was 16. She looked a lot better there. (laughs) And when I came back when I was 26 and she was 21, I fell in love. And she's five foot one and three quarters, okay? So she's not tall. <laughs> but I fell in love and she's, we're married 38 years, I think. And we're best friends. I love hanging out. My wife is, I make her laugh all the time. She just laughs at my cheesy jokes. And, and we have a great relationship. Um, I'm a talker, she's a listener, but at home she's a talker, I'm a listener. <laughs> she's really smart. She's the exact opposite of me. I'm an extrovert, she's an introvert. I, I, I'm a creative messy and she is super organized. I mean she, everything she does, she does everything so neatly, so nicely. If you go into our house right now, pull any uh, drawer open. All the clothes are folded, everything in its place. Our house is always clean. She's not obsessive. She'll leave some dishes in the, in the sink and I'll go and I'll clean them. I'm fine, I can do it. I do laundry sometimes. I say, honey, you no, know, no, don't get up from the couch. You just lay there.
2: I'll. No, I feel
1: good, quiet. <laughs> and I'll do it. Why do I do it? Because I love my wife. I wanna break every stereotype, okay? I can do dishes. I can do dark laundry. (laughs) I don't have to explain that one. I don't wanna mess up with delicates and stuff, yes. That's a great question. Was ministry at any time feel like too much? Now you're talking about either for me or for my children or my home and my wife. I travel a lot. But really when I'm home, I spend more time with my children when they were little and my wife than most husbands do. See, you know. They, they work 40 hours or 50 hours. Then they come home and they just click the television and go to sleep and they don't spend time. I, I used to come home from the church office. I worked uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Friday, and then Saturdays and Mondays I would have off, and Sunday I work really hard, like most pastors. And when my office hours were over, we'd either have supper, we'd do homework together with the kids. That's why they're so smart. Homework first, and then we go to the park and ride bikes. I'm telling you, you, you should have seen me on a 10-speed bike and I would put a padushka, a pillow around the thing with duct tape so Larissa could sit on there because she wants to go along. She's too little to pedal fast. So five-year-old Larissa's on my bar on a pillow with duct tape. We all got helmets on and we go to the park and we went down this one hill. It was Suicide Hill. <laughs> and so me and AJ had Pedals, that goes backwards and Luke had these pedals that just are fixed and his legs are out and his and the petals are going he's like we got to the bottom of the hill I said Luke dad I almost died I said don't tell mom okay we get home at supper mom you're not gonna believe it you took my kids down that hill maybe that was the one time she yelled at me (laughs) was let me answer your question I went off on a tangent (laughs) preachers do that when you do what God asks you to do he's wise you will not burn out when do pastors when do men of God really men of God burn out when they do something to an obsessive extreme and they do it in human strength, you burn out. Today, I preached three sermons. For each of them, I felt the power of God. Ed asked me to speak tonight. I said, Lord, should I do this? The Lord says, go. And I came here tonight tired. I feel more rested now than when I came here. Because I feel the presence of the Lord on this place. I felt it when Ed was speaking. I felt it when you worshipped. When you do something in the power of God, you will not burn out. It will not be too much. It's like power steering or power windows or power brakes. I don't have a better example than that. You know the old cars without hydraulic steering and power stuff? You'd have to do everything manually. Roll the windows down. You'd have to really stomp on the brake to, f- to stop the car because it would be drum brakes. And, and the old Jehoulis that you t- had in the Soviet Union had a big wheel because you had to fight the wheel. It was so hard to turn the wheel on a small car. And now you could turn a wheel with your finger because power assist. Don't live the Christian life in human power. You won't last long. So many Christian, so many kids of Slavic parents who are Christian. It's so hard to be a Christian. You know why? Because you're living by the law. But if you live by the power of grace, it's not hard to love God. It's not hard to obey his voice in your heart. It's not hard to be a virgin you wait for the one god has for you it's not hard it's only hard when you want to sin and you don't listen to god then it's hard to live a christian life by rules so that's my answer hope i didn't oversimplify it okay i'm not going to keep you long okay some more questions Yes. 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 There is a great teaching that I learned in Youth of the Mission as a young boy, and I believe you might be able to hear it from Lauren Cunningham, one of the founders of YWAM. Joy Dawson I spoke in a city on a hill south oh probably five six years ago and the title of the message is how to hear the voice of God okay so just search on YouTube you can find it I teach it in Bethany Bible School I teach it in Slavic missionary Bible School how to hear God's voice and my simple answer to your very good question is how do you know what to do when you have three or four things that are all logical and could be the right thing ask God and then ask him for two or three confirmations if you hear from God God never gets impatient when we're not sure what to do and if you're humble enough to ask him then wait for an answer and ask him for two or three minimum two He will confirm one of those choices for you. I did this with marriage. I said, God, I want to know your will. And I asked for two or three confirmations. And God gave them. I'm not going to take time to tell you. This happened so many times in my life. Chernobyl blew up. We had a trip planned to the Soviet Union, 1986. Radiation. Should we go? Should we not go? I asked God for several confirmations. We went and God greatly used us and kept us from getting sick. Another time when um, uh, the Maidan exploded and a hundred people were shot. Let's not get into the politics. It happened. And I had to be in Ukraine. I had to go to Kiev. I was in India. Should I go? God gave me five confirmations. I asked for four. I said, I'm not going unless I hear from you. I almost want to tell you the story, but it's going to be, it takes a few a few minutes, so, and God confirmed it. I think marriage is one of the greatest uh, decisions in your life. College is a great decision in your life. Your life work or occupation is a great decision. Who you should date, who you should not date, and I'm really talking about serious dating, you know, not, not, not the stuff that, well, let's not get into that, okay? All right, one more question, and then I'll give the microphone back. One more question. Last chance. Yes, sir. I've been asked that question many, 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 many times. And the answer I always give is the same. I wouldn't change not even one thing. Meaning that I did it right. God led me right. But now, in retrospect, maybe I would have saved a little bit more money. but I spent it all on Disney World for my kids. Is that a bad thing folks? I didn't have a lot of money, but if I had a little money, I would take my kids to a place they wanted to go and I would blow it all on them. And I paid for half of their cars and they paid the other half. And today my kids are doing well for themselves and I'm happy for them. Thank you for your attention tonight. Thank you for letting me drone on and on and on. Hope I didn't bore you. God bless you.
0: Thank you, George. Awesome. Um, really awesome. This is the second time we've had in a month. Just somebody to share from their story, somebody who's done so much for the Lord. Um, and I think it's a privilege. One of the things that um, I think... I'm, I'm not going to preach. Don't worry. Um, one of the things though, that we're missing, I think, in our generation uh, for many different reasons is kind of a connection to people that came before us that have been doing something for a lot longer than us. And I think learning from people like that, experiences, um, it's a big deal. So, George, thank you so much for just opening up your story, your heart, um, and all that. Thank you so much, <clears throat> my friends.